Valora is the easiest way to send, swap, collect, and grow your crypto on the Celo blockchain. Download the app and start exploring dApps like Good Dollar today at valoraapp.com forward slash empire. What's up, man? How are we doing? Uh, doing great. You know, uh, a lot to digest this week. Uh, it's been one of those weeks where there's a lot going on every day. Um, so, so there's a lot to cover. How are you doing? I'm doing great. We got these new LaCroix in the office. Um, tall skinny can instead of the smaller, thicker can. Big nice. news for uh, Blockworks. Uh, it's yeah. very smoky in New York. Yeah. Probably saw. It, does it inside, does it feel smoky or do you have filters or is it? Um, it does feel smoky. Yeah. It's a little mm-hmm. smoky. It's, um, it's actually, the, I think, the worst recorded air quality in the history of the U.S. Um, uh, oh, I was, really? I was, yeah. I was in San Francisco. I was in San Francisco too. When, when, it, was, when, it, was, when it was totally blacked out. Like, yeah. remember that day? It's I, I was there. twice as bad in New York as that day in San Francisco. Wow. Yeah. I did see the probably the best advertising in the world, which is the Diablo, like New York, welcome to hell. And then the, the incredible, like so you good. just cannot yeah. time. That was impeccable. But yeah, it looks, uh, looks pretty cr- So the air quality is going to last, I, I heard, for the next two, three days. We're recording, obviously, on Thursday, June 8th. It seems like it's going to last for a few days. Has it gone better yeah. or worse? Um, it's gotten a little bit better since yesterday, but um, it's, I mean, it's still pretty bad. We, we, just, we were supposed to host BlockWorks beers today. So oh, yeah. We did, yeah, and we just canceled it. Okay. Well, stay safe. It's, it, wouldn't they say that uh, spending a day out breathing this air was equivalent to smoking six cigarettes or something like that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. It's funny. I was walking on the street. So I was wa- com- you know, coming into the office today, and there was a guy who was, all, he was masked up because everyone's wearing masks in New York again for, for the smoke. <laughs> he was masked up. And then I saw him light up a cigarette, and he pulled his mask down, starts rips Lovely. the cigarette, puts the mask back up. I was like, oh, buddy, you're missing the point here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah like, you, nice. you've lost the plot my friend so yeah. anyways you want to know uh we started starting with binance or coinbase mm, in sequential order binance chronological right because binance was first let's do binance and uh i mean coinbase we can talk about this but coinbase was basically just a copy pasta of the binance case without all the spicy stuff so um so on monday i mean it's been a uh, i don't know what the title of this podcast will be pro- probably something about the sec because uh uh, this week, the bi- two big things were Binance and uh, Coinbase uh, uh, had suits against them by the SEC. So the, as, on Monday, we can start with Binance. Monday, uh, Binance was sued by the SEC for a bunch of stuff, including commingling customer funds with a trading arm, um, operating an unregistered securities broker and exchange, uh, and then f- uh, facilitating the exchange of assets that are securities. Um, also, importantly, in inside of that suit is a really big thing. I, I read I read the whole thing of Binance and Coinbase. So I, feel kind of prepped to talk about this. Um, they also listed a bunch of tokens such as BNB and BUSD and uh, Matic and Solana and a bunch of other tokens as securities. Um, it was uh, pretty pretty bad, I would say. Uh, pretty bad thing from the SEC. The really bad thing were these internal chat logs. So I actually just want to read some of these um, because this is, there's like the the... Um, claims by the SEC in the Binance and Coinbase case were kind of similar, but Binance was had all these like really damning things inside of it. And I'm just going to read some of these. So this is uh, evidence. This is a chat log between Samuel Lin, who was the former head of compliance at Binance, and um, and this guy Alvin, who was their head of BD. 
Samuel, these are just some quotes. Samuel Lin, we are, he messages him. He goes, we are operating as a fucking unlicensed securities exchange in the USA, bro. Alvin doesn't respond. He goes, later goes, tells Alvin to take his BNB bonus and dump it into USDT as it would just be dumb to hold BNB. I won't read the whole chat log, but I can, we can link to it. The, the, uh, this uh, uh, was, uh, all of these chats were dated, I think, 2018. Yeah, 2018. 2018, yeah. Talks about how the compliance side of Binance is a sinking ship like just like the Titanic. This was another one. This was uh, when they were hiring the CCO, um, Chief Commercial Officer. Um, Sam noted that he feels the risk-reward isn't balanced and that he wouldn't feel comfortable signing off on the OFAC compliance stuff if he was CCO. Um, this is when... So, like, the Binance strategy was basically to, like, get these American people with connections either into finance or really into government like Brian Brooks and like Catherine Coley to come on board um, and to like be kind of the face, right? So Samuel goes, that's why I feel the risk reward of this company is not balanced. There's no fucking way in hell I'm signing off as the CCO for all the OFAC shit. But you know what? Nobody wants to take up the role as we are too meow, which I don't know what that word means. Um, yeah, the CFO of Binance asked him to take the CCO role, do the sign off and he would double his pay. He wouldn't do it. Um, yeah, whole, I mean, whole, I mean, the list goes on. I'll, I will link to all this stuff. But what do you think of the, uh, what do you think of this Binance case? What do you make of it? I want to zoom out. I think this week is momentous because we, I think as an industry saw that there was, there was going to be some action coming against the two major exchanges. Like, I think mm -hmm. a lot of people are sort of expecting the SEC to come after Binance. Mind you, they got out and Coinbase. Coinbase got a well notice, uh, a month or so ago. Um, and, you know, it seems like every other exchange as well has gotten notified. I mean, Kraken obviously like had an issue with staking. So I think that a lot of this was the industry was somehow feeling that it was coming. So it, it came all at once uh, as things tend to happen in crypto. The Binance, um, you know, speaking specifically about Binance, um, you know, fact of the matter is I, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, I, I read a lot of the, reports and a lot of the interpretations by other people that are way smarter than me i think there are a couple of things i do think that it is quite different the binance uh and the allegations made in in the binance um kind of suit from the sec are is much heavier much more has feels to me like more meat on the bone and more serious allegations than the coinbase one particularly because it involves <clears throat> a lot of commingling of funds it feels closer to the FTX is a bottom line. Why? Because they sort of make allegations that there are a number of entities, much of which CZ controls. And this is all what I think the SEC is claiming. Correct me here if I'm wrong. And that a lot of a lot of kind of there were a couple of things at fault. One, the Binance US was kind of not ring fence, really. A lot of people and customers, a lot of institutions that were trading in Binance US had this sort of avenue to go trade in, in Binance. Of course, the number of products that you were able to access in Binance, um, you know, were much there. There, there's more products you could access in Binance, right? And so they make that claim. They also make the claim that there a lot of funds like uh, CZ kind of controlled, really, and there was sort of this uh, puppet show, if you will, of pretending that they had you know Binance US as a independent entity. This is why Brian Brooks stepped down. This is why Kath, like Cooley stepped down. Um, so it's a lot of, I think it, it feels more serious, uh, on the misappropriation of funds. 
Um, then, of course, the SEC, I think, filed a motion to, um, what is it, freeze Binance U.S. assets. Yep. Um, that was the day late, the following day. Um, and now Binance has retaliated to put up a public response, and then they retaliated by saying, uh, most recently, that <clears throat> apparently um, Chairman Gensler um, had applied or to be an advisor of Binance at one point while he was at MIT as a professor and and one of the directors of the media lab and that he has a conflict of interest and therefore he should right. kind of remove himself from all of this because there's conflict of interest. Um, and so, yeah, a lot going on. I mean, I don't know how you want to parse all of this. Through. Well, I think you make an important point. I think let's, let's talk about the differences in the cases. I, I, I think, think that's, that's the most important, important thing to focus and on. I think that actually it's the, not path, the same. Uh, here, here's my, my bias coming in, but I think uh, the, be the best breakdown of this actually Catherine Ross, who's a, Blockworks reporter uh, just published an article saying the fundamental differences between SEC's Binance and Coinbase suits. So I just want to read that with you live. Um, and, and we talked to a couple of lawyers for this for this piece. Um, the here, so I'm just going to walk. I'll, I'm sharing my screen if anyone's watching on YouTube, and we can kind of walk through this. Basically, the uh, the uh, SEC hit Coinbase with a quote straight registration violations case. However, the Binance suit in addition to registration violations, includes allegations of fraud, market manipulation, commingling of investor funds, and diversion of investment funds. And, uh, you know, Brian Armstrong tweeted this out too. He said, in case it's not obvious, the Coinbase suit is very different from others out there. They're obviously referring to Binance. The, co the, the complaint filed against us is exclusively focused on what is or what is not a security. We're confident in our facts and the law. Um, That's right. Yeah, so I think there's. I think these are very, very, very different cases. Um, yeah, um, I think per, per has been a precedent now. The SEC doesn't go directly after some of these projects. It it sort of submits them through these um, motions uh, of what they think is a security, um, and and so the market reacted pretty aggressively. I think there was a big disconnect between how the, some of the majors, like particularly ETH. ETH was not named a security in both filings, which the market seemed to pick up on that. I mean, ETH and Bitcoin resisted and traded fairly well relative to alts and some of the other names in there. Um, and so, again, I think it further solidifies this notion that ETH is not a security. Um, and I mean, there's just a lot to talk about, but. I Sandy, let me let me ask you this why so here's uh so blockworks research tweeted this out binance has experienced 1.4 billion dollars of outflows uh -huh. over the past three days in light of the sec's lawsuit if you look at this chart from our research team you can actually see that this i mean 1.4 billion sounds like a lot this is relatively normal fund flows for, for binance which implies as we tweeted out that a majority of users are really not concerned by the recent action with the SEC. So I'd like you to just, I'd, I'd love to hear your take on, mm -hmm. you know, obviously what Gensler and the SEC was trying to do here is imply that by, with commingling of funds and like those very mm -hmm. clear messaging is that Binance is FTX 2.0. Yes. But the reaction from both the markets and from users and from the flow of funds shows that users don't actually really care about this. So I'd, I'm curious what, what, like what you make of this. That's a great point because I was looking at particularly the outflows. And right. because a lot of people were n without data saying this is a bank run and you're going to see the bank run. And we haven't seen that so far. And if you look at the data, I mean, it's normal kind of outflows. Right. Um, so 
um, you know, of course, CZ tweeted and said, if we're going to see a bank run, we'll, we'll, we'll fully understand, you know, Binance has all the, you know, collateral, all the assets to, to honor these withdrawals and whatnot. So, so far, it's been fairly interesting. Um, I do think, like, I don't want to call it early, but it seems so far that, um, you know, the market sort of has shrugged it off. Um, yeah. A lot of them were saying, look, this happened in 2018. Have Was there some wrongdoing here or there? It's sort of like the Bit, what BitMEX kind of also kind of went through this motion as well. I think Bitrex, was it Bitrex, did, did get hit fairly, like after they settled the DOJ and whatnot. I think it wasn't the same, right? Yeah, for uh, sure. It just, it just, if you look at their market share, you look at their position in the market, it was different. Um, the question now is, um, is the DOJ going to move? Uh, and it seems like it, they're, I mean, I would be shocked if there isn't, right? The DOJ has probably something cooking as well for Binance, at least. Um, so we'll see how, how the market yeah. reacts to that. But um, yeah, I mean, there's a fair amount of um, scenarios here that you could think of. Like, so what is the outcome here? Like, I think Binance US then delisted a bunch of assets. So move fairly quickly. Um, you know, my working assumption is that this is going to be a fairly drawn out process. Both Binance and Coinbase seem to be willing to fight it uh, and have the resources to do so. Um, I think at the end of the day, I'm just looking at like prior kind of uh, precedent and there probably is a fine for both. Um, there probably is. Binance US may just shut down altogether. Um, and uh, But I do want to emphasize, I think the 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 allegations in the case against Binance is much different, much more aggressive, has more substance, I think, than what it has for Coinbase. Um, so the, the interesting thing about Coinbase, I think, is <clears throat> you know, the market obviously reacted really, like the, the, the stock itself, like Coinbase opened like down 20% on the day um, and then rallied subsequently last, like it, it closed higher that day and then is up like another you know, I think it like opened at 48 and now it's up like 53 bucks or so. So Kathy Wood from, from ARC like bought like over 20 million bucks of it. Um, and so there's a fair amount of support there. Um, yeah. Coinbase retaliated with a good ad campaign. Um, and yeah, it's just really interesting that um, I think we're going to, I mean, we're at this sort of, I think the, the not, I don't want to see the last innings, but mm -hmm. We've been wanting regulatory clarity because a lot of people think they said, listen, guys, we've been wanting regulatory clarity for the last like 10 plus years. And this is what it looks like. I think we're finally, you know, coming closer to that event. What has been interesting is, and I've we recorded a podcast yesterday with Avichal and Hasib, and Avichal says something that I actually believe in and have been saying for a while, which is you have to sort of have faith in the rule of law in the, in the court system. And <clears throat> what was it? I think there was a, the court responded the day after and said something to the nature of because uh, Coinbase and the SEC have been going at it for a while. And what was it that the circuit court said that by nature of this complaint or this suit, did it mean that the SEC was not going to respond to this, like producing clarity or whatnot, right? There's something yeah. there that I found super interesting. You probably are know more, more about it, but Basically, my interpretation was, I think the court is, is kind of calling it and saying, yeah, we understand you're making a lot of noise, but you still need to respond to Coinbase. Coinbase has been asking you, has been trying to meet with you, you know, 
Uh, Brian alleged that when Gensler came to office, he tried to meet with him a number of times and he just kind of was not very receptive. Maybe it would have been COVID, but he didn't want to take a meeting. When they finally met over video, he was like very, what seemed quote unquote cold. And Brian was like, Hey, listen, we want to come and register. We want to like have a broker dealer license. And he's like, I'm not here to give you guidance. Go talk to your lawyer. And right. It's very frustrating because when Coinbase says, <laughs> great, how, like help us register, the SEC sends them, you know. Yeah. There's a great clip going around by one of the Robin Hood um, uh, council or in the team of Robin Hood that, you know, because Robin Hood also has and supports like trading a lot of these assets. Right. And and he was like he was against I think he was like testifying and said, listen, we been trying to like register we engaged the sec for months nine months process trying to understand how to do this in a you know in how they say come in and like register we try to do that and then we got shut down nine months later we just kind of didn't get really good clarity right, right. and so you know it's it, those things are really important because it's really i think uh you know important to understand that like the court i think is going to see that and say hey listen like you 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 can't just say that there's a process to do so and there's these securities laws that have been like around for such a long time there's actually not a clear way to go in and register and and to and to claim to like do this in a compliant way oh and by the way what is interesting now some of the strategies of some, some lawyers were suggesting is if you take that same thing, well, then everything becomes a security. Like luxury goods become a security. And then if you take that same kind of strict stance that the SEC is taking on tokens, then you can extend that to practically a lot of other things. And so, and so, yeah, it's just interesting. As an industry, I think I'm optimistic because people are rallying behind Coinbase and seeing that there's a, a, a solid effort here to, to fight it and to see it through. And genuinely people want to do the right thing and there's a whole precedent of and, and, and track record of like you know coinbase and other folks trying to do the right thing um and it's a u.s-based business it employs a bunch of people you could argue fine binance you know it's been it doesn't have a jurisdiction it kind of operates in this limbo and arbitrage kind of like FT, you could argue that i get it yeah. but i am and i think the industry is being rightfully so more sympathetic to coinbase which is to just try to do the right thing and you got shut down and then slapped in the face for no, like, you know, it's like, yeah. it's bullying. Yeah. I think there's a bunch of takeaways here. So like, just to close the loop on the Binance side of things, because I do want to share a little more info about Coinbase and maybe compared to like, I just want to talk about what they're actually being accused of here. And because I think it's pretty ridiculous. Um, but to close the loop on Binance, I think the lack of outflows that we were talking about earlier, that just shows me that the Middle East and Asia don't care at all about the SEC, right? They like, there is no that and that's primarily where like their user bases are Middle East and Asia and they are they don't care what what Gensler's doing right now. Um, I also think that it's just a like they're going after the big bosses here and there's nowhere else to go. Right. Where where else like users aren't moving off of Binance and going to MEXC or something or like there, there's really nowhere else to go. So I, I don't know. I just it's been interesting. I'm curious to see what happens specifically with their U.S. brand. I'm very curious if they just shut it down or. There's this like other kind of long tail thing that could happen, which is CZ launches a new brand, right? And or like mm -hmm. someone not CZ, 
but really CZ launches mm-hmm. some totally different brand and it's called something else or yeah and then you know, users kind of migrate and whatnot in the US and so I also yeah. think they had a genius con strategy they announced that this guy Richard Tang who's one of like the stars inside of Binance I think he was a head regulator in Abu Dhabi or in Singapore Sing- Singapore, maybe? Singapore yeah he was uh he would be they were like he's next in line after CZ yeah phenomenal com strategy they released that the morning of the of the uh of the lawsuit. Yeah. They also, one of the big differences between Binance and Coinbase on Tuesday, so the, the SEC sued Coinbase, but they also issued a restraining order to Binance to, to freeze all of Binance's yeah. assets yeah. to, quote, prevent uh, destroying. Which, which, which has not been approved, by the which way. Which has not been approved, yeah. But they yeah, did I mean, not issue the restraining order to Coinbase. Yeah. So, so, look, I think the most important thing here during this process is to fundamentally understand, is this an FTX situation or not? For Coinbase, not concerned, candidly. Yeah. Binance, you observe withdrawals and any activity there is abnormal. Pay attention. You know, again, the best assumption is always be skeptical and curious in this space, no matter what. And in this situation, if you're a customer of Coinbase, if you're a customer of some of this like custodian that apparently is going under, as always, just be vigilant. If if you're not holding your keys, if you're not self-custodying, and if you're relying on Coinbase or Binance, just understand there's risks and pay attention to what's going on. Um don't freak out necessarily, but pay attention. Um, and and yeah, I mean, I think for Binance, it's very clear, you know, if they can honor withdrawals and they can continue to operate business as usual, then <clears throat> then I'm less concerned, you know? The, the, the worst case scenario here is that there there's this sort of bank run and, and they, they are like FTX was, just don't have, are insolvent and have an issue with honoring withdrawals, not just in Binance US, but just Binance regularly uh, generally that would be a big impact is a big big blow to the space yeah otherwise you can argue facts and you can go back to 2018 and maybe there's some wrongdoing maybe there's not enough policies procedures in place there's some sort of violation if you will of you know uh, of not register whatever it is it's a fine but it's but customers don't get impacted that's what i care about and that's what i think uh, as an industry we should be highly vigilant yeah. and paying attention to because uh, that's where things get really, um, you know, messy is when when funds get locked and or not even there, and so you want to avoid a Voyager or Celsius BlockFi situation, you know. Yeah. Um, to give shed a little more light into the Coinbase case, what they um, I want to almost compare it to capital markets and show how capital markets works for a sec. So the TLDR for Coinbase is they charge them with being an unregistered broker dealer. Uh, they said that the assets on the platform are securities. They said that staking as a service is an unregistered service. And I think they also insinuated some things going on with the Coinbase wallet, right? They also, this was a pretty interesting strategy. They, it was kind of a coordinated attack with 10 other states who issued cease and desist. I think several of the states issued cease and desist or warned them that cease and desist would be coming. Um, yeah, and they have like... Uh... 20 something days to respond it was a fairly right. coordinated action from a number of states alabama and a bunch of others to like uh, go after them so. right here's why this is a funny charge against coinbase there are three groups if you try to simplify capital markets to like it's bare bones there are three groups that perform different actions there are the exchanges the broker dealers and the clearing houses right crypto set up very differently oh, and 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 in capital markets so the exchange brings together the buyers and the sellers um, it was really the marketplace for the buyers and the sellers. The broker dealers represent the customer and bring the trades from the customer to the exchange. And then the clearinghouse settles the trades and, and is oftentimes the custodian, right? In DeFi, you don't need 
like in DeFi, the the analogy would be like Uniswap is the exchange, MetaMask is the broker, ETH is the clearinghouse. In CFI, the SEC is very confused, I think, because market structure is different. There's no broker dealer, first of all, because uh, con uh, customers and co uh, consumers, customers and like users, basically just park their money with Coinbase. So there's there's no broker dealer, and then the clearing happens on the blockchain on ETH, right? So it's very frustrating when I see a case like this because it just shows me that the SEC does not understand the market structure here, um, mm. the market structure at play. So I don't know. Th th there was an argument to be made, like, um, and this was already kind of intimated a week before where Binance was saying, hey, we're going to allow some of our institutional clients to custody their assets without an independent provider. And that if, for any trading that happens on the Binance platform, you're calling sort of on that um, custodial to make sure that there's proof of funds and then you settle. Uh, look, there is an argument to be made that sure, you can probably disintermediate this and, and move closer to how <clears throat> traditional markets work, which is there's a segregation of where customer, like the custodian, like, you know, BNY Mellons of the world and where you, and, and like the prime broker and like make sure that there's a separation there for sake of like consumer protection, if you will. Like, I understand that argument. Uh, I think the infrastructure in crypto has been nascent and kind of like not very robust. Like Coinbase has a Coinbase custody, of course. Right. Could you custody that somewhere else and trade and settle with Coinbase? Sure. Um, yeah, you can. Um, and so, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I think that the the thing that I was like, uh, I think it was uh, the head of policy at Bain Capital. Um, I think it's Tuang Vili. Uh, she heads regulatory uh, and policy at Bain Capital Crypto. And, and she said, let's be clear. The SEC complaint doesn't mention this, this particularly about the Coinbase case. There is currently no way for a platform like Coinbase to register as a securities exchange broker or clearing agent. That's why they've been begging the SEC for years to give them path to compliance. They haven't gotten it. Robinhood, same thing. And so, you know, the, the, <clears throat> the Coinbase uh, general counsel and Brian and, and the team just are really of the opinion that they deny like 90% of the assets that they review. They are of the opinion that all these assets are not securities for a number of reasons. And so, you know, they kind of hold true to that and, and are holding a firm ground to that. Uh, there's also like an interesting uh, observation by a few folks on Twitter that said all the assets that were listed in the complaint are like literally the front page of what you, of the landing page of Coinbase. <laughs> and so it sort of begs the question did they just kind of look at that and t take them or well, i think this is a really like if i'm in the like if i'm if i'm trying to give the sec some advice here it's like don't go after every token because i don't know i, I think it was haseeb said this and this episode with haseeb and avicha will come out in a couple of days on on tuesday but um the uh haseeb was like if you put one or two people in timeout then like it sucks for those people if you go to a group of people and you're like every single one of you are in timeout and you move you move that whole group into timeout well then it doesn't have any effect because those people are all still together and they're kind of just like well this doesn't make sense if we're all in timeout or i think he used he said jail yeah. so if the mm -hmm. sec is trying to enforce something don't go after a hundred percent of things because you're basically just forcing an industry to not be compliant yeah go after one or two things that you really think are breaking the yeah. law here you know that's a really frustrating thing to be honest which is Look, there is wrongdoing in crypto, as there is in every other industry out there. You know, banks are fined constantly for violating KYC, ML, and OFAC, and all this stuff. It's just human 
behavior. There, there's just nature. There's fraud everywhere. And I really object when people say, well, this is the problem. Crypto facilitates crime and it's a space that is like riddled with fraud. I'm like, hold on a minute. Look at, show me the data. Coin, like chain analysis put, produces great reports that indicate that less than 1%, less than 0.5% of transactions are nefarious yeah. and related to fraud and whatever. That's much lower than fiat. And so to say that crypto facilitates nefarious activity is actually wrong. Like Katie Hahn from Hahn consistently says time and time again, the only reason they were actually able to catch the people that sell crypto because it was everything was on the public blockchain. <laughs> like smart people will not use a blockchain. Now, of course, there's a Lazarus group and some of these entities that like have hacked protocols and have been able to finance themselves because like I understand that. That's a separate issue of like security and smart contracts and whatnot. But, you know, I, I think I always go back to, and I think this is one of the first episodes that I had with Rebecca and, and even in private conversations, I ask people, it's like the point of the SEC is to stimulate a few things. One, capital formation. And you could argue that their behavior has really hindered that. It has moved capital and innovation away from the U.S. And this is, go back to the hearing, right, that we had against her like a month ago. And this is a huge point that like in the in the testimony, they were really pressing him on that. It's like you fail on capital formation. Like People are really scared to build in the U.S. And this is a growing, thriving industry. It's going elsewhere. It's going to Hong Kong. It's going to Dubai. It's going to Europe. So capital formation has been really impacted because of these like bullying uh, behavior um, and lack of clarity. And the second one is consumer protection. Like who's actually getting harmed? <clears throat> I understand you. My point here is. Because we don't have clarity and we're in this limbo, it opens a vector for some of the fraudsters to actually take advantage of that. FTX, prime example. It operated offshore in this gray area. Coinbase, on the other hand, has been trying to do the right thing in the U.S. And yep. you, could, you, you could argue, well, wait a minute. Well, they've listed all these assets and they're down 90%. I'm like, and equity markets are not? And pink sheets are not? Like... Let's talk about consumer education and accreditation laws. Fine. Maybe there's a better way to understand that people should be trading these things, but you can't necessarily take an opinion. It's not the role of the SEC, is my understanding, to take an opinion on whether the companies that they approve to go public, whether it's a SPAC, which is worthless now, or, you know, true, like, you know what I mean? Like, it is not their opinion. It is not their role to take an opinion on the assets and the securities that they kind of approve or not, right? Yeah. They oversee. Yeah. They're not curious. I mean, we're say, so beyond trying to be reasonable. Like we have gone you know from I mean? like, regulation yeah. by the last couple of years were regulation by enforcement. And we were all really frustrated. It's like you can't regulate something I mean, just by enforcing is, the right? rules. No, I this is a clear signal that we have shifted from regulation by enforcement to trying to ban an industry by enforcement. This well, is a well, market yes. difference in my mind. That, that, that's where and, I was going because uh, Genser yeah. really was um, I think in his interview, he was interviewed at both CNBC and Bloomberg the day of and he said you know he said something really interesting which is what, what i was just saying it's not our role to take an opinion on the particular things that we like supervise and oversee and then he said some and then he proceeded to saying but i actually think that basically this industry is worthless and should cease to exist and the that's the only role here is that's why we have a dollar and the digital dot like central bank digital currency and he said uh so he's very opinionated and he's not like that in, in, in with securities, right? You don't see uh, him talking about some of the companies that have gone bankrupt. 
you know, and public stocks that have gone to zero, you know, and in here it's a actually it's quite telling, right? Because then he's basically telling you he he wants his industry to, you know, he's ceased to exist. And the natural question is, we've talked about what is the probability of crypto being banned in the U.S. Like gold was banned in the '30s. I think that probability has shifted dramatically after the events that have transpired yeah. this week. It's something interesting. I mean, you know, Mike asked me this week. He's like, "If crypto got banned, would you would you leave? Would you leave the U.S.?" It's an interesting. Yeah. Would you? If crypto got banned in the U.S., if it was illegal to hold crypto in the U.S., yeah, yeah, I would, I would leave. I would leave. What, is, what, what does that look like, though? Like, if people, like, I forget what happened when gold was banned, but basically, he said, if you don't, what happens if you like, don't surrender it? You hold private keys. Um, how do they enforce that? Uh. But mind you, they hold a bunch of Bitcoin that has been seized over the years. Like what? Well, that's also the irony. They've been trading on a what they claim to be an unregistered exchange or whatnot, broker dealer. They're selling their Bitcoin through Coinbase. The government is. So what happens in that point? Like what happens to the Bitcoin the U.S. government holds? Like they could just you have to surrender it. Uh, you have to send it to their wallet. You have to you, you get a stable coin. Like what happens? Like I'm. Just kind of really curious, practically, like what would happen in that scenario? You got to go hand in. You got to go. There's a there's a price that someone sets, and you have to go hand it in for that price, right? Yeah, I guess. You know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think this. What? Uh, what's your? I mean, I, this seems to be like I would assume that it's going to be a fairly drawn out process. Yeah, um, I just looked it up. Americans who did not. All Americans were, were were required to turn in their gold before May 1st, 1933 to the Fed in return for $20.67 of paper money. Americans who did not turn in their gold were subject to arrest on criminal charges and faced up to 10 years in federal prisons. An exception was <laughs> made for dentists who could own up to 100 ounces. Right, because cavities yeah, or whatnot. Put it in your teeth, yeah. Huh. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, here's, but here, here's, here's a difference on Um Well, I guess this isn't a difference with gold, but uh, the beauty of crypto is you can't kill, you can't kill crypto. And the reason is the aspect is, is the aspect of self custody. So with equities, if you want to go create a new, let's say they shut down the custodians for equities, mm -hmm. equities are dead because you can't, you can't just go create a new custodian for equities with crypto. You can't, if you if you kill exchanges, you can just you can't kill. You can just go pop up a new self custody exchange, right? You can go pop up another Dex or pop up another MetaMask yeah. or something like that. Um, you can go buy some ledgers. Like that is the beauty of this. So, I mean, you can make it really annoying, but like you, yeah. you can't kill you can't kill self custodied assets. Yeah, I mean, look at I mean, China's been trying to ban crypto for a while. Yeah. Uh, I do every... think it's so. Here's the here's the SEC playbook that I think they're running. They started small. Got some wins, Ether Deltas of the world. Then they went bigger, Bitrixes of the world. Now they're going for the big, biggest exchanges, Coinbase and Binance. What comes next after this? They either stop and focus on Coinbase and Binance in these in these suits, which will take years, by the way. Or, I mean, we seems like we know Gary Gensler at this point. I don't think he's slowing down anytime soon. I think this is when they now come for the protocols. 
And uh, mm -hmm. what that looks like is you send a subpoena to a protocol. You say you've got two to three weeks to hand over every single internal Slack message you've ever sent, any email the founders have ever sent, any emails the teams, the exec team has ever sent, anything you've ever posted on social, everything. But they're they're doing that already, right? I mean, they we've known that for particularly like some like Terra, they've been and Tornado, like they've been I like think subpoenaing. It comes, I think it comes for all the for all the DeFi yeah, protocols. My understanding is it's been going on for a while now. It has been, but I think it it's about right. to start getting more and more public. And also, it's been happening for a little little while now. So, if you give someone three weeks to hand it over, that maybe that was two months ago. Then they need a month or two to review it, and then they, I think, unfortunately for some of these protocols, you have folks who maybe when they were three people, they weren't thinking about an SEC subpoena, so they probably said some pretty things that will seem very damning on Slack messages, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, so, look, I mean, I think. I, I am of still of the mind that some regulation, some policy will be constructive and be helpful for the industry. Yeah. I also think this will speed that up, right? Yeah, I, think that, I mean, I'm hopeful. And I think if, if, if we align on the things that really matter, which is... I think this will accelerate legislation. Hopefully. Yeah. Consumer protection. Yeah. Like, there's a bill that we want to discuss in the next regulatory pod that I think is super interesting in the US. What is it? The McHenry bill or something? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, McHenry bill. And I think that's a great step forward. Um, so ultimately, I think we have to make sure that we're constantly thinking about what's the North Star here. And it's always for regulations, consumer protection. So what are the things that we can do as an industry to make sure that it's a fair playing ground, that is fair capital markets, right? That information disclosures are there. Um, I'm still thinking of that department that the SEC created to allow for issuers, token issuers, if you will, to provide information. Now, if you have a central repository <clears throat> where you submit the token vesting, the token smart contract information, like everything, a lot of this stuff is on chain. Like crypto protocols are, I mean, I don't want to say contrary to popular belief, but I just want to make sure that people appreciate crypto protocols are fairly transparent in, in, the, in the amount of stuff that is available on chain to inspect the contracts and the wallets. And the move of funds and all this stuff. I mean, you can make the argument: well, not everyone's technical enough to read these smart contracts. Point taken. Well, let's let's do something about that, right? Let's create a someone, an agency, or whatnot, a group that interprets that and gives a credit rating. Like there's a DeFi score that you know there is. A, I think a consortium that the DeFi Safety Alliance or something that I think Coinbase and a bunch of others like created to self police and like to rate these protocols. Um, DeFi protocols in particular. So, I mean, those are the things that we should be talking about and focused on. It's like, okay, how do we make sure that Ben eats of the world? Like, I mean, if people want to send money to him, like that's like charity, but make sure that people understand what they're doing. Uh, make this a more friendly, safe environment, whether it's interacting through Coinbase base and making sure people understand the difference between self-custody and not and managing their own private key. Like, these are the things that we should be really focusing on because those are the things where consumers have been hurt. Not, you know, it's clear that like people want access. Financial inclusion is a big point that I will make over and over again. The amount of wealth that has been created um, since the 90s because people, very select few, a very select group of people have been able to invest in private enterprises because they're accredited on this random arbitrary rule that is outdated and and it's 
it's so bad that it's just like, if you have a certain amount of money, then you can invest. Whereas maybe you should be focusing on, are they knowledgeable enough? And can you make some things, simple things like a test that they should take on? I mean, look, Binance call it what it is. Yeah, it has like perps and products that allow you to go on margin and all this stuff. But at least they like, you have to go through a test to like, you know, an investor suitability thing that a lot of banks also make. You know, are you sophisticated enough to trade these products? What's your level of experience? And there's a rubric, you know that you could argue we could improve for and make it more specific for crypto. But nonetheless, you know, I think those are the things that really matter. But unfortunately, we're like, a lot of this is just a distraction. Yeah. You don't have an opinion. Is Doge a good asset or not? And people think it's worthless. Well, sorry, folks, but like, that's for the market to determine. But all you can do is make sure that people have the resources at their disposal and everyone's in an equal playing field where if there's any information about the devs, if there's any information about the protocol and the people behind it, it is readily available to everyone on an equal basis. That is what matters the most. Then then people can make a determination whether we want to buy or sell the token or the stock or whatever. You know what I mean? That's it. That's all you can do. You can't tell people what they're going to spend their money on or where they want to invest. If you want to buy a meme coin, everything is a social construct. So that's it. Like at least arm people with the right resources and avenues to educate themselves. You can only lead the horse to the water. That's it. Right. And that's a role of regulators. And here they're clearly overstepping. They're having an opinion on, on whether these things have value or not. <laughs> I'm sorry, but like, that's not the role of a regulator. It's really not. It never has been. And I think that's where the courts are really going to are going to clamp down on. And I think that's if, if they fail to do that, then we have a bigger problem on our hands because yeah. it sets a really bad precedent on other things like the state should only protect people. But it, there's there's there's, you know, <laughs> there's a great meme that said like a wall point like the U.S. like it started because they tried to tax their tea <laughs> way back in the day. And now, you know, we have these agencies that are really, I think, overstepping in, in telling people where they can and protecting them from crypto. Well, folks, like people are going to do this and going to find a way to because young generations want to do this. Like there's an interest in the public sphere to get access to these things. All you can do is it's really dumb to, to say, no, you, you're not going to do this. It's like it's like if your kid wants candy. And you tell him that he's, yeah. he's going to find just, it. Get the here, here's, it's, here's why they're doing it now is because it's easy to do all this stuff when everyone's losing money and prices are going down. Once prices like bull market, very tough to do this stuff. Um, this is so, I think this is so egregious, uh, such an egregious overstep that this will actually be good for crypto. I think politicians uh, will see this and think that they went too far. I think users and consumers all so. are on the same page already. So Valora is the ultimate wallet for exploring the Celo ecosystem. Easily explore over 50 crypto assets and 30 different dApps for swapping, sending, and growing your crypto, all from your phone. If you want to see real world use cases for crypto, Valora's dApps page is the easiest way to access a growing list of the latest ReFi and DeFi applications. Discover new dApps like GoodDollar, a Web3 platform that uses crypto to generate, fund, and distribute UBI. Anyone anywhere with a mobile phone can claim GoodDollar right now from the Valora app 
every single day. Good Dollar Rewards can then be saved, swapped, or used to purchase a variety of goods on the Good Dollar Marketplace with the potential to impact millions of people. Download the app, start exploring today. It's valoraapp.com forward slash empire. All right, shifting gears. LV, are you a Louis Vuitton guy? I don't think I've ever bought anything from there. Although, maybe, maybe one. Now. Louis Vuitton maybe, is maybe selling now, a $39,000, not dollar, euro. $41,000. Yeah, $41,000 NFT. 106.93 now. <laughs> the collection, <laughs> I'm just going to read this. Uh, Vogue actually published it. The collection of Fidgetal. Oh, God, I hate that word so much. The collection of Fidgetal treasure trunks marks the first time that the luxury brand will sell NFTs, which will act as an access pass to future products and more. Um, yeah. 39k uh, and it actually seems to be let me read the fine print louis vuitton is guarding access to via in other ways as holders cannot sell or give it to another person which is a contrast to many of the original high value communities the brand refers to it as a soul bound collectible which is a new concept in the past year to facilitate loyalty and discourage flipping mm-hmm. i like that it's like non-transfer like non-transferable right yeah 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 i like i like the soul bound concept here i think this is cool yeah, it's really impressive. Um, you know, a lot of people ask me, I, I'm based in Europe, and I've noticed that people here are just more positive on the space, generally. Yeah. Even old timers, like, you know, uh, which has not been the case for a long time. But now, like, you see, like, these are the catalysts that I'm looking at that I think these headlines go unobserved and, uh, like, just in, in this kind of market. But mind you, this is the largest luxury conglomerate in the world. And... um you know, Tiffany did um, the pendants for the punks. And, um, you know, I think, uh, again, Tiffany's also owned by LVMH. And and Louis Vuitton now doing this, it's it's a huge milestone, I think. Like, to push a space forward, like, anyone that says that NFTs are dead, like, you, you know, like, what is, what comes next, right? Because when you have a brand like that, start doing this. It makes a big splash, and then all other luxury brands are going to then pay attention. Like Gucci, I think did a collaboration with Adidas, then and also with G Money. I believe, like, was it Adidas with G Money, and then Gucci? Yeah. I think has also experimented with NFTs. So, like, these things are percolating. I think um, you know marketers are appreciating how important this is, both from a new type of segment of the market that they're willing to capture, the price point that they're willing, like they're able to capture. From a consumer intelligence and retention standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. Like, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a big deal, I think. And basically, th- this NFT, like, if you were to buy it, the the whole the value prop here is you're going to get access to things that before others do. You have first access, you get first, first access, access and things. you get exclusive access to things. I love the okay. strategy. You're paying forty k to be able to spend more money. With the I, I mean, like, I <laughs> mind you, a lot of people like. Uh, they do all like, like your oh, the first one. The time, I don't right? know if this is public. Well, I guess it'll be public now that I'm sure. The first one is being shown at Fashion Week at, at Pharrell's Fashion Week next oh, week. Wow. This is, yeah, this yeah. is cool. And is it um, just like get invited to like special events and products? Like by holding this access card, you basically get access to the first drop, if you will, of like limited items, physical items. Yeah, I guess so. Let me ask you this: Why? So I know you think it's cool. Why did this have to be an NFT if it's not transferable? Um, why? Why do you? Why does? Why should Louis Vuitton do this as an NFT? 
And what you're saying is, could they have just, just done a thought this? experiment? Yeah, this could is they have just done this with like a membership club, membership wrote club some names thing. on an Excel spreadsheet with some macros and called it a day. Sure, they could. Yeah. They very well could. Yeah. Um, I think it's the appreciation from the management team there that NFTs, the whether you want to believe it or not, and whether the customer today appreciates this idea that it is recorded in a public blockchain, you could argue is a little far-fetched today, but over time it become more and more important. Um, there is a consortium of luxury brands that have come together. I don't know if um, Louis Vuitton is part of this, but all, I think Caring Group and a few others have come together to create this kind of consortium of a, a standard for NFTs. Um, and so you kind of want to have a, a Saseev sometimes creates really great metaphors and I'm going to borrow this term from him. A Switzerland in the sky mm. is what NFTs ultimately or blockchains ultimately are, right? You have this, like think about airline points and how fragmented those are and credit card points. There's partnerships between certain airlines and you can use those points. But like, I think it was this week where like United or some airline really like demoted the value of your points at, at a, on a whim. There's no freely traded market for that. The options, again, it's all about consumer preference and expanding that, right? And so you have to create a Switzerland in the sky, meaning a neutral standard where these things can, maybe it's not transferable today, but having it in a in a credibly neutral kind of environment and public blockchain allows you to do other things down the road. Right. Mm. Uh, you know, think about the entire portfolio brands that LVMH has. Well, if you have maybe this NFT, then maybe you can port it over to other things. And I just think um, from an ease of use and like the ability that you have from having all this in a, in, in an NFT format just makes more sense to allow you to do other things in the future um, that the customer will probably appreciate. Um, but it certainly comes out like there is there is this friction, right? Users are going to have to create a wallet and on the back end, the security component, sure, it's not transferable, but you can lose your private keys and all this stuff. And how can you do it? In a, I think there are the front ends are there where like you can abstract away a lot of this complexity today, yeah. right? With wallets. Well, I think they're trying to reach a crowd that maybe is already semi-crypto friendly. Like, I think this is maybe the comparison you, you might be able to make is uh, 20 years ago, someone or 15 years ago, someone saying, why should I, why should our brand go create an Instagram account or a Facebook yeah. account? We can exactly. go reach our users via email. Like we can send them the message on email. And there's probably some young person on the marketing team that was like, no, 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 we need to create an Instagram account because there are these new, a new group of users and we need to meet them where they are and we need yes. to put our stuff in the context of what they enjoy doing. Um, so we need to get on Instagram and the brands that got on Instagram early, you know, obviously yeah. crushed it. And so I think this is so like LVMH, this is what, so a thousand NFT, how many NFTs are they selling here? Let's say they sold a thousand of these things at 39. It's not about the money. Yeah. That's 39 million bucks for I a mean, company so that made, they made it doesn't 79.2 billion dollars. Does not compute. In, but not just Louis. This is LVMH. Yeah, Moet, yeah. Uh, $79.2 billion. It's not about the money for them right now. I think this is them trying to meet this new cohort of yeah. very wealthy, younger, digital native folks uh, where, where they are. Let me tell you one thing. What's the whole point about luxury? 
luxury goods, bevlam goods. Flexing. Exactly. Is there a better way to flex than having it in a public register yeah. where everyone can see it? Yeah. Right? You can claim, you can upload a picture that you were at the runway show or whatever, yeah. but if you have this NFT, it's a flex. It's free yeah. marketing for them. You know what I mean? Like, that's really it, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I, think, I think it's cool. I think it's cool to see. I mean, the, another one of their portfolio companies, El, uh, Tiffany's, right? Tiffany, Tiffany yeah. sold the out. Pendants. Sold, yeah, sold out. Those NFTs sold out in twenty minutes. They made twelve and a half million bucks. So I think you'll continue to see this from LVMH. The the price point, the price point historically of NFTs relative to other luxury goods is fairly high. Like board apes, punks. Like these are a hundred thousand purchases. You're buying a car as a picture. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's no. not trivial. <laughs> like, not everyone spends that, but even a mint of twenty-five ETH—that's a lot of capital. Like, that's that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's cool. I'm I think so. Yeah. Last thing to talk about. Actually, I, I said I didn't want to talk about this, but I do think it's just for the Arbitrum bug. I think it's important to kind of dispel some of the fud. So let me just explain it really quickly to folks. Um, on. Uh, there was some like if, if you were on Twitter this week, you probably saw some some FUD uh, from other ecosystems about Arbitrum like canceling transactions or the sequencer going down. That is not what happened. Basically, uh, Arbitrum stopped sending transactions to mainnet for about two hours on Wednesday, and the reason uh, was a software bug that affected the the roll up sequencer. But if you actually look at it, everything's fine with Arbitrum. Basically, what happened is so things happen on Arbitrum, right? They're an L2, so things happen, and every so often they have to send those transactions to Ethereum. Uh, to the L, back to the L1, yeah, and they yeah back to the L1. To this stuff. basically just left. There was two point two billion dollars that was kind of like in the lurch, basically like sitting on the L2 that wasn't confirmed and sent back to the back to the L1. And um, let me just—they posted this good thread about it. Hold on, I'm going to read. There was one point that I wanted to read from it. Um, in order, okay, in order for the nodes to send. This is my understanding of it. In order for the nodes to send transactions to Ethereum, there are one of the the wallet that's associated with the node needs enough ETH to pay for the transaction fees. And um, the sequencer spent the five ETH that it had, but the gas refunder, which had I think two hundred and fifty ETH, like plenty of ETH in it, didn't refill it until it posted the successful batch. That's just a software bug. So yeah, I think this is uh, I think this is nothing to worry about. Yeah, it's back operational. Yeah. for what it's worth yeah cool um what else well just br briefly touching on two things one <clears throat> there's a great episode coming up next week we've alluded to during this podcast with avichal and Hasid. these are great thinkers they don't agree on everything but we talked about the state of the market they're both invest uh, dragonfly and electric both well-respected venture funds different strategies different geographies but they're great thinkers. I think you'll enjoy that discussion. So tune into that. Um, I really enjoyed that. Um, it's always good to bring them on. And, you know, I think they, a lot of times people um, complain that you and I agree on a lot of things. Um, although we've tried to, we don't coordinate or anything. We just kind of come on here and talk about stuff. But these guys really have a, a fresh take on, on a number of things and including regulation, including how they're investing macro and a number of things. So I just felt like we could go on and on in that episode and, and some things that we didn't even touch on, like uh, 
you know, blockchain architecture and is it a multi-chain world and monolithic versus, you know, other types of design constructs and um, secondary market activity. There's so much that we could talk about. And so we're, we're going to bring him on again. But I think that was a very neat episode, at least from my perspective. Yeah. Last thing I wanted to talk about that I forgot to ask you, what did you think of uh, Apple, Apple's Vision Pro? You have thoughts on this? Well, I, I tweeted about this and said, look, Apple is the most valuable company in the world because it has turned skeptics into lovers. Like, uh, so many people are skeptical skeptical of the smartphone. And I was skeptical of the iPad. I said, why do I need this? Like, I already have a smartphone. And I ended up <laughs> buying an iPad. Uh, AirPods, too. Like, I remember I was, I, I was able to get my hands on an AirPod super early. And I was walking in the street, and people were, like, thinking I was, like, mentally insane i was like i thought, what, the, I thought the airpods were so dumb when i first saw them i was like those everyone are horrible dude, I was my at, parents I was were like why are you buying theater. this people at work were yeah. like you look dumb like remember the apple watch too the apple watch got shredded yeah. people were like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and so, so i'm reminded of that i think it's um so i've looked at like a number back when i was at save you like we looked at way back like we were looking at like the the chips for these um for these devices and they were just not there this is like seven years ago um and a big issue with these things is that if there's any lag between what what is being rendered and what you're like and your how you're moving it creates it's super nauseating like any sort of lag in your occipital system which is the balance like the the little like things in your ear that like make sure that you don't like totally fall off a cliff there's any lag with that, you immediately get dizzy. And so in the initial tests of like Oculus early versions and HTC and all these devices, like the people were puking because it was just super not, you couldn't like, um, you, you couldn't do this for more than five minutes, but it's come a long way. Like I think the, the, I'm really excited about it. I think I'll buy it. Um, um, and it's, it's pretty cool. Like, I think in, at least yeah. in many ways, like the question is, does it replace like your laptop or does it replace your smartphone? I don't know, but it's kind of like this. They are also exceptionally good and they are the val most valuable company in the world because they create markets. So I think in this case, yeah. I don't think it replaces anything. It just is a complimentary, but I'm more excited about like at least standing more vertically upright <laughs> and seeing things and interacting with my world than like looking down at my screen. You know, at a minimum, right. I think we're going to have less like posture problems. Yeah. It's also pretty remarkable to think about this. So I have, I have the Oculus and I really rarely use it. Pretty yeah. interesting to see like, I mean, this technology has been out for a while. Interesting to see the response to this, which is very excited, I would say, compared to the Oculus. Um, mm. one, one takeaway is, uh, man, like, the marketing is so different. It, it This showed me how good Apple is at marketing, right? Like, I mean, you already know that. Apple doesn't, re Facebook released a product and Facebook talks about the Oculus like a product with things you can do on it. Apple only talks about the vision around something, right? They, like, they're just so freaking good at painting the picture. Um, mm. And I think Apple also just has this amazing ability to take old technology. Like, smartphones were around. They made it happen or even a like they can take old technology and make it work and a really good example of this is actually is apple pay right like yeah. that was and android tech that had been around but like you could only use it in like one percent of places um mm -hmm. apple pay i yeah. really rarely use credit cards anymore it's all apple yeah. Pay. um and they i just have a dominant ecosystem of things you know yeah well it showed the differences on consumer preferences around privacy too right and like how people perceive facebook and apple like when people oh yeah think 
think about the Oculus. They're like, ooh, Facebook can now see inside my living room with like 4K clarity. When people see the like, and I don't know, people are scared <laughs> That's of such a good point. The duck and, and then and people think about Apple and they're like, oh, they're like a privacy forward company. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think um, the other thing to note is the price point is fairly high, but I do think that like the any estimate of how like people are saying, oh, they're gonna not sell a bunch. I think they'll quickly recoup all they've invested in R and D like first year alone, and um, yeah, it's just gonna be incredibly exciting how people use this and how that you know the the entire like you know the iPhone created an entire app store and all these different companies, and I'm just really excited to see what's gonna yeah. be that next evolution of games and companies and how they create different experiences because it's you correct me here but it's sort of like i was debating whether to call it vr or ar like virtual reality augmented reality it feels like it is augmented reality because in, in at least in the demos like you see your surroundings and it blends really nicely kind of your living room if you will with kind of the things that you're seeing um but it also is kind of virtual reality i, I don't know it's kind of like a hybrid and i think that's the elegance of this product, but I haven't seen it, but everyone that get, has gotten their hands on it is raving about it, or at least most people. Yeah. Mi AR, VR, it's, it's MR. It's mixed reality. It's, it's all... Mixed, yeah, that, that's right. Maybe that's the best way know. to call it. What is it? What do they call it? Spatial? Uh, what is it? I think there's a specific term that they came out with. Um, Did they? Spatial... Spatial computing, spatial computing, spatial, spatial computing. processing. Yeah. Someone was saying, Control F. Every venture fund, every venture fund in the space is now updating their uh, criteria of things that they're investing in spatial Space, computing. Spatial. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyone that's like migrated from investing in crypto to AI now consider maybe also going into uh, yeah, going to spatial domain. Go definitely going to yeah. spatial. Uh, funny enough, Apple now is a three flirting three trillion dollar market cap which uh is tied with france <laughs> with france crazy. you said who brings yeah, more value it's like to the, the world? seventh france or eighth or, uh... largest it's now i think apple alone is like the seventh Damn. or eighth largest economy in the world tied with Ripping. france i was uh, i was in iceland earlier this year and i was reminded of like the population's like shy of 400k and i was looking at these stats i'm like and i was comparing it so amazon employs like five icelands <laughs> it's great like 1.6 million people just it's it's wild it it's uh it's yeah. crazy this um we always come out with uh books and documentaries or movies that found interesting this reminds me of the network state when we talk about like companies being this large mm. and protocols potentially being this large like it's not too far-fetched i mean these countries will these um companies eventually protocols can wield a lot of influence i mean they, they do right um but you know, um, they have cults, they have values, they have systems in place. Like I'm constantly reminded that like the construct of a nation state is, is, is fairly new. And a lot of these countries are fairly new and they're etched by like diplomacy and things like just that may or may not withstand the test of time. Yeah. Um, and so like, do you have a greater affiliation to Apple than to your team, like your national team? I don't know. Like, it's just like blurred lines now. <laughs> pretty damn affiliated with Apple. I'll say I'm pretty locked in. I, I was just going to say, like, <laughs> you Apple, definitely I mean, stand by Apple, Apple, but right now, like, you know, I'm there's like the, Apple shit there's like 40 years ago. I'm like, why? Like, that doesn't saying. actually make sense, you know? 
you're a loyalist to Apple, but you know, who knows? Like people, big Apple fan. you're, you're more alike to people that buy Apple than perhaps like someone in middle America because you live in New York. You know what I mean? It's like, it's different now. Anyways, uh, I saw the movie air. Mm. Is that, is that the Nike one with like Michael Jordan? Yeah. And the whole I don't know. You, you saw it. You tell me. <laughs> I saw No, no, I, I'm, I'm black. I, I was not sure that was the, yeah, yeah, the, it's the story of the Michael Jordan, air. Deal, right? With Nike. Amazing. I, I'm just yeah. a Nike like I love running. I love Nike. I've always. I mean, next time, next time we're recording this, I'm in the office right now, but I'll record it from home. I'll turn the camera. I have a photo of Phil Knight on my wall, actually. Oh, shoe dog, fantastic book. Listen, I'm just gonna analyze. Shoe dog is best entrepreneur book of all time, hands down. I, book is insane. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 just amazing. So either go out, watch the movie Air, or read the book. Uh, I get, it's a great companion. Shoe dog, fantastic. Like those two, make for a great weekend. I think. Yeah. Anything else you found interesting? Still reading book. this book on poverty. It's pretty depressing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Guys, just it. ignore I, that and go go go. Watch I forget there. if I told you. I'm reading this. I mean, I'm re you, people should read this book. It's pretty pretty eye opening, but also pretty depressing. Um, so, spare market. I probably wouldn't recommend that. Go read Shoe Dog. Perseverance story. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. All right, folks. All right, well, thanks for tuning in. A lot to discuss and digest. Hopefully, we've done some. We haven't covered everything, but you know, it's impossible to cover everything on these. But we'll be reporting and, yeah. and paying close attention to these things as, as these things transpire. So, yeah, have a great weekend, cool. everyone. Enjoy the weekend. See you guys.